Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Love that last hymn. (laughs) Sorry, just had to say that. Really ripped that one out. It's just beautiful to sing. And uh, we're talking about baptism a little bit today. Let's back up a bit. Um, We're in Acts of the Apostles. Actually, we're going to kind of touch on all of the readings this morning. But starting off in the Acts of the Apostles, we're in that season where we get to run through that wonderful history of actually the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit acting through the apostles to spread the good news of the gospel. Jesus, at the beginning, before his ascension in the Acts of the Apostles, tells his disciples to go and be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And indeed, they've been starting in Jerusalem. And if you remember, the work had gotten so much, more and more were being added to their number, so much so that the apostles were having to deal with kind of administrative duties. They were needing to get involved in whether or not the Greek widows and the Jewish widows were getting even dibs on the food that was available. And so they said, we're dealing with this much, uh, we need to be freed up to go and actually preach out there, preach the gospel. So they decided amongst themselves and they laid hands on seven who were to become the first deacons of the church. And amongst their their number were um, Stephen and Philip. And so we're at the uh, story about Philip, the second story actually that we have um, about Philip. But Stephen was the first one to be martyred for his faith among the deacons. And if you ever want to have the gospel encapsulated, uh, go to Stephen's wonderful address to the Sanhedrin in the Acts of the Apostles because it's the whole swathe of the history of God with his people going from Abraham and all the acts of God and the fulfillment of prophecies in the Messiah in Jesus. So if you ever want that encapsulated in one place, go to the Acts and find Stephen's wonderful address before the Sanhedrin. Well, he is uh, martyred. He is stoned to death, a practice that still goes on in some of those regions in the Middle East today. It was one of the forms of, uh, of killing somebody back then as it is today. But he was stoned to death. And remember that on the side as he was being stoned was was Saul, who then very shortly after this passage actually goes through his conversion experience. So because of that, there's a persecution that starts to happen in the church. So indeed, Jesus is a command to them to go and witness out from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, all of Israel starts to happen because they have to go because the church is being persecuted. And so first of all, Philip goes north from Jerusalem into Samaria and he preaches the gospel there. And uh, we won't go into that story, but it's another really interesting story about who he proselytizes, who he preaches this good news to. And then after that, um, the Lord calls to 
to him through an angel. And I know many of you will have heard that voice from God. And uh, you think, really, seriously, I have to do that? And you kind of try and ignore it for a while. And then um, you can't because it keeps kind of taking up headspace. Um, so much so that you actually have to go and act on what the Lord's calling you to do um, in the first place. Well, uh, Philip responds immediately. So the Lord tells him to go down from Jerusalem. Remember, it's always down from Jerusalem. It's not like we have north and south, so you're going south. It's just that Jerusalem's on a hill, so everywhere is down from Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem. So he says, go down and take the road from Jerusalem to Gaza, which we hear is a wilderness road. Maybe not that well-traveled, but certainly in the wilderness, maybe an inhospitable kind of road. And so he goes down there, and who should he find but an Ethiopian eunuch? Now, what on earth was a black man from Ethiopia doing in Jerusalem? Well, uh, we believe that the Queen of Sheba also came from Ethiopia. And you'll remember that she went to visit Solomon because of Solomon's wisdom. And quite possibly, probably, brought back with her this news of uh, the Jewish God, who is the true God. One way or another, we know that this Ethiopian eunuch knew about the God of Israel and had gone up there to worship. Well, there are a few things about that. First of all, Ethiopia is um, slightly to the west of Yemen. Yemen is on the southern end of the Red Sea there, opposite from the peninsula of Saudi Arabia. So it's in the area of the Sudan borders it, and it's just it's south of Egypt, if you will. So that's kind of situated a little bit where it is, an, an ancient country. And so this man who is quite, um, who's quite high up, in the court of Queen Candace, um, is going out. He's, in fact, in charge of the entire treasury for the country. And he's, as a eunuch, he's been castrated. Um, that's because, uh, probably in that era, if you were a court official and the monarch was a queen, then the officials around her were, became eunuchs. Now, according to the Levitical laws, he would not be able to go in. First of all, he couldn't become uh, truly a, a proselyte or Jewish because he was castrated, because he was maimed. He was deformed in some physical way. And so he's excluded, and yet um, he still goes up because he's so drawn to the worship of this one true God. So he's leaving Jerusalem, having gone up to worship, and evidently, somehow or other, he's procured for himself the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. How amazing is it that he now has the scroll of the prophet who foretells Messiah. And what is he reading? But he's reading the fourth of the servant songs, which in detail proclaim the servanthood of Messiah. 
So Philip um, goes down onto the road, and um, I, I think the, the chariot is going along because he runs up to it. So, you know, you kind of imagine he's jaunting alongside the chariot as it's going along on its way, and he hears the man reading out loud. That was oftentimes what they did back then. We read silently, but they would read aloud. So he hears what he's reading. Uh, as a lamb uh, was dumb, led to the, led to the slaughter, he made no sound. And so he kind of looks in through into the chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading? And this black Ethiopian eunuch, head of all of the money in the land, says, how can I unless someone opens up the word to me, unless somebody explains it to me? How can I understand unless someone guides me? You see, all of us need guides. All of us need guides, uh, myself included. All of us need guides. Um, if you ever find a teacher who thinks that they've got it all together and they're not continuing to learn, flee. Um, because then they don't know, they don't know it all. We've got to be continually teaching, learning, learning and teaching. And so what happens but that um, Philip takes the man where he is. Uh, you know, many times we hear that evangelists kind of go dead to somebody and start expounding the whole gospel message just cold. But the best thing is, is to take it where the person is. Well, he's reading the passage and he's saying, Who, who's this talking about? Is the, is the prophet Isaiah talking about himself here? Or, or is he talking about somebody else? Yes, says Philip, I've got an entry. You know, this is about Jesus. And he opens up the whole message and the good news of Christ from this one passage. And so he talks to him and, and tells him about the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, evidently, part of that teaching also involves how one becomes in Christed, how does one become part of the body of Christ? And that's through baptism. Because as they're going along, evidently they're now both in the chariot together, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and they've got a driver evidently. Well, how good of God, on the way, um, the eunuch sees water. And there's an exclamation point there in the scripture. I love it. He says, you know, oh, here's water. What's to stop me being baptized? He is so on fire with this good news that he has heard that he wants immediately to receive Christ, to be baptized as one of God's beloved children into the full fellowship of all of the Christians. And so they both get out of the chariot. Chariot stops, they get out, and they both go into the water. And the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized. And the Lord takes Philip and t takes him to Azotus, where he continues all the way up to where he lives in Caesarea Maritima to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to any who would hear and become a Jesus follower. N.T. Wright puts it this way about the Ethiopian eunuch. All of his physical, social, 
and cultic exclusion is overturned. He is embraced by the God who is revealed in the crucified Jesus and welcomed gladly by the evangelist who represents his master. And of course, he goes on his way rejoicing and a new branch is added to the vine. See, Jesus has said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't it great of God that the first convert outside of Israel is a black man from Ethiopia, and he goes on his way rejoicing. And the Ethiopian church to this day trace their heritage, their Christian heritage, back to this Ethiopian eunuch. See, in the early church, there were no divisions. There were no gender divides. There were no racial divides. There were no demographic divides, socioeconomic divides. Once you were part of God's family, you were on equal footing. Everybody was incorporated into the full family of God. And we see this. We see this also in Acts of the Apostles a little bit later with Barnabas and and now converted Paul are in Antioch of Syria. Well, Syria we've heard about a lot, unfortunately, for other things in the news, but it was the, it was the center point of the missionary journeys of Paul and originally with Barnabas. Well, look who makes a part of that early church. Among the prophets, we read in Luke's Acts, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, He was Greek and Jewish from Cyprus. Simeon, called the black man, from Niger, maybe, modern-day Nigeria along the Niger Delta. Lucius, from Cyrene, North Africa, kind of around the area of modern-day Libya. Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas and Saul. Quite a mixture quite a mixture in the early church, and they're all together. So this Ethiopian eunuch, who is now part of this new family, goes on his way, goes home, and since, isn't it wonderful how God does this? So he's, he's part of the hierarchy of the country. So of course he's going to share the good news. Do you know about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus, probably to Queen Candace. And the trickle down is, is that... Others are converted and come to faith. A new branch grafted into the true vine. For we hear in the gospel message today another of those wonderful I am uh, sayings of Jesus. There are seven in John's gospel. Last week we heard about I am the good shepherd. We hear I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Now, if you look in your Bibles, you see that the I am is oftentimes capitalized. There's a reason for that. It's because when Moses asks God to give him a name so that he can tell the Israelites before they're taken out of slavery the name of God, he says, I am who I am. And that, in Hebrew, is Yahweh. 
I am who I am translates to Yahweh. We call that the Tetragrammaton. And so Jesus very advisedly knows what he's doing when he says, I am. In other words, in other words he, he says, I am God. I, Yahweh and, and I are the same one. I am the true vine. See, in the Old Testament, there are lots of stories about God being the vine keeper, the vineyard being his chosen people, Israel, all the way back to as early as Genesis 12, verse 3. We hear that he's calling apart to himself a chosen people through Abraham. But they're not just chosen because God chooses to choose them. God can choose to choose whoever he wants to choose. But he chooses them for a purpose. (coughs) He says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. So numerous will your descendants be as the stars in the sky, unnumbered, as the grains of sand on the seashore, unnumbered. So that there was a purpose for the calling of Israel to be God's chosen people. So that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. They were to be that priesthood that mediated to the world God, the God that they knew, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob that they would be a blessing, but that had not happened. They'd come in on themselves. The Pharisees had built up walls around themselves. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. In other words, I am the true Israel. He becomes the Israel of one, the one who now fulfills the promised blessing to the whole world. He is the true vine, he says, and this Ethiopian eunuch who has received the good news of Jesus Christ goes and spreads that news and a new branch is grafted in. We hear about us being grafted in through Paul in his epistle to the Romans. We're the wild olive branch, he says, but we've been grafted in to the rootstock where there is life. And unless we abide, now abiding is not forcing, it's not working, it's not doing anything. It's letting all of the lifeblood of that rootstock permeate all of who we are, grafted in, just taking in the life of Christ, of God in Christ, But if we block that and we die on the vine, if we're not rooted into the full fellowship, see, this is Christ's body. The early church knew nothing about individualized Christianity that we see so much of in the Western church. (coughs) It was a full body church. We hear over and over again, after the Holy Spirit anointed them and came and dwelt in them, they met together. The apostles teaching the fellowship. Fellowship was really important and the Lord added to their number day by day. See, it's by being together as the body of Christ that his lifeblood 
comes and courses through each and every one of us. Jesus says, apart from him, we can do nothing. There is no strength in us, in and of ourselves. It's only insofar as we abide, we rest, we stay, connected to the body, connected to Christ and our very sustenance, that we flourish and bring forth fruit for the kingdom. Branches that die lie on the ground, And then there is no life in them. And it says they are taken and burnt up in the fire. But those that bear fruit, and those of you who are gardeners know this, after fruit bearing, there needs to be a little bit of pruning or some dramatic pruning so that the new life comes up even stronger again. Some of you might have been pruned. I've been pruned. But it's to bear more fruit. The true vine is Jesus. We are to abide in the vine. And then in John, in his uh, epistle to the church, he says it's abiding in love. It love is our source of nourishment. Love is what issues forth from the rootstock. Abiding in God means abiding in his love. I don't know whether you noticed, but love or beloved is mentioned 27 times in this epistle. Um, Just in case we didn't get it the first time. He wants to make sure that we know how important love is because love is from God and God is love. And he has shown that love perfectly by sending his son as atoning as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how we experience the love of God in perfection. Because he loved us in this way, we must likewise love each other. In fact, he says, if you don't love your brothers and sisters and you say that you love God, he says you're a liar. It's very strong words, isn't it? If we don't love our brothers and sisters, but we say that we love God, then the truth is not in us and we lie. Those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment, but those who are in Christ can have boldness on the day of judgment. Perfect love casts out fear. We're to abide in the love of God, to know more and more God's love within us, 
to overflowing to our brothers and sisters. We are not to cut off that love and just keep it for ourselves. It's to overflow from us to all of God's children, to his brothers and sisters. This is the good news that so enthralled the Ethiopian eunuch that propelled him into the waters of baptism, sent him home rejoicing, unable to stop sharing the good news, the good news of a God who loves extravagantly, who came to save all who would testify that the Father sent the Son as a Savior of the world. All those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, a loving God who shows no partiality because of race or gender or physical impairment, who loves all his children, all his children lavishly. May we do likewise. May we abide in him. May we abide in his love and show forth that love into the world. Amen.